Father God, you do. You reign above it all. You reign above every single thing we carried into this room today. Every single thing that we bring before you today, we just declare you reign above it all. You reign above our circumstance. You reign above the things that keep us up at night. You reign above uh, our, our businesses and our kids. And, and Lord, you reign above the state of South Carolina and the world. You reign above it all. We put you in the rightful space this morning. God, we thank you for your church. Lord, we bless your church right now. Not just the church here at New Spring, but all across the world. Men and women have come out and they've said this first day of the week. We lift up the one who reigns above it all. And so every single church that lifts up the name of Jesus, every single people in all of the cities of South Carolina that are lifting up the name of Jesus, the one across town that does it a little different than the way we do it, we bless them and we thank you for the men and women of God that are, that are leading and, and that are shaping and that are lifting up the name of King Jesus. And Lord, we are grateful that here we are and that we have a God who loves us and who knows every hair on our head and every everything that causes us to sigh, everything that keeps us awake. And Lord, we know that you are ruling and reigning. And so God, we don't have to worry. So we cast our cares upon you and we lift up your name here in this house, King Jesus, our risen and resurrected Savior. And we love you and we gather for that name today, the name of Jesus. And so right now on every single campus, could you put your hands together and maybe lift one more shout for King Jesus. And we love you, Lord. It's so good to see you, church. And uh, why don't you look at somebody and give them a fist bump and a high five as you make your way to your seat and you can open up your Bible and you can get your notes out or you can, if you're, if you're at the house today and you're watching online, hope you get your notes out. You can also open up our New Spring app. We've got the notes uh, preloaded there. I would tell you to go ahead and open your Bible into the book of Genesis uh, is where I'm going to be today, but I'm in Genesis, I'm in Exodus, I'm in Joshua. I'm going to get to a little bit of Isaiah 6, Matthew 28, Colossians 1. That's where I'm going today. So uh, I'm telling you, you need to download the app. All the notes are preloaded there. It'll help you keep up. Uh, but before we get to this, how you doing, church? Everybody good? A lot of, lot, of, lot of really, really smiling faces here today, and I'm glad to uh, see you. I hope you're doing well. Um, can we give a hand to all our parking lot folks who are out there in the cold this morning, helping us get in on every single campus? Thank you guys for the way you serve and the way you love. We're so grateful for you. Um, hey, my name's Brad. If I've not gotten a chance to meet you, I'm a part of the team here, one of the lead pastors. And this series we're starting today, Every Day Church, is a vision series. It's, it's a series that's clarifying, I believe, for the church at large and specifically our church. Uh, if you've been kind of watching online or you've been kicking the tires and you've, maybe you've relocated, there's a zillion people. I don't know if you guys saw this on 60 Minutes just the other day. South Carolina's getting featured all over the world. Lots of people are moving to South Carolina. I tell people all the time, the only reason people live in New York City, they don't know the Carolinas exist. But anyway, don't let the word get out too much, but the word's out, y'all. Some of y'all are here today because uh, you, you have relocated. A lot of people are changing jobs. It's the, it's the great resignation. It's the great uh, shuffle. It's happening. And uh, you want to know what, what, what's the church about? What's this church about? Well, this is a perfect series to lean into. Let me tell you a little bit about where we're going to be over the next several months if you want to know what we're going to preach from. Uh, for the next five weeks, we're going to be doing a vision series about the big church, but specifically about New Spring Church. And then men. The five weeks leading into Easter this year, we're going to do a men's series. Can I get an amen from a man in the room? Men in the room. We're going to do a men's series. So you're going to want to be here for that. It's going to be called Men of God. And we're pumped about it. Our teaching team's pumped about it. We start on Easter a series on the book of Romans chapter 8. 
So we're going to go through the entire book of Romans chapter 8 on Easter uh, and then the next several weeks. That will get us all the way to the summer when it's going to be warm and we're going to be wishing that it's cooler like it is today. All right? And then we get into the summer, we're going to start a spiritual warfare series. That's where we're going next. And then that will lead us right into a series that's a legacy series, a multi-generational church. If you're a part of New Spring, you know we prioritize our kids and our students, our our young adults. But if you don't know this about us, you're going to find out about us. We care greatly about the next generation. Amen, New Spring Church? Care greatly about it. We're not going to take our eyes off of it. We feel it is our burden from the Lord to tell the next generation how good God is. This summer we're going to do that. And that will get us into next fall when everybody's coming back to college and school and we're going to get in the Sermon on the Mount. So there you go. That's where we're going for the next several months. So you can set your calendars and plan accordingly. Uh, But today i got to ask a question to start this series off. You ever been disoriented? You ever felt like you didn't know exactly where you were? Um, You're going to feel this for me also if you're new. I feel like we just can't assume that people know. I I grew up in a a family that uh, did construction. That's my background. I never thought I'd be in ministry. Cards on the table. I I was just a kid raised in the church. My dad was a construction guy, my uncle a construction guy, my granddad a construction guy. I went to college to get my master's at Clemson in construction. That's my background. I feel like I learned a lot about that when God called me into ministry. I was raised in a small business. I'll get to that some in this series. But I also was raised in the locker room. I I, I was raised playing sports. I I think it was because my mom was keeping my brother and I out of the house. Mom, as you know about this. And uh, so we played everything. Anytime the YMCA was open or the rec had something, we were playing something. So a lot of my backstory in, in what I use to just draw from comes from those two places. And I'm talking about being disoriented this morning. And the first time I can remember being unbelievably disoriented, I was a sophomore in high school. Back in 1998. Y'all remember the 1900s? In 1998, I uh, got the chance uh, to, to get moved up from my junior varsity team to the varsity team. I was a, I was a slot receiver. My dad is 6'6", 260. Okay? Some of y'all at the Anderson campus, you've seen him when he's here. He's much bigger than me. But my mom, I took after her genetics, and so she wouldn't let me play football. You know, until I got to high school, and then I finally got to play football. I played football and made the, the varsity team as a sophomore, and I got a chance to, to, to start, okay? But I, was, I, I remember we were playing the Chase Trojans. Some of you guys know where this is. The Chase Trojans. I was lined up at slot receiver. I'm looking in. I'm getting my signal. I'm running a slant route. I run this slant route, and it's the first time I can literally remember having a ball thrown to me in a game. I, I caught the ball, New Spring Church. I caught the ball. All right, priority, catch the ball. And the very next thing I did after I caught the ball, I was going to plant my foot in the ground and make a move. But I didn't get the chance to plant my foot in the ground because as soon as I caught the ball, Ben, I got KO'd. As soon as it happened, I, 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 right here, the next thing you see is I'm looking at these stars in the sky. I'm hearing literally like somebody hit my helmet with rocks. It was like, woo. If you played football, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, I had no idea where I was. Only thing I could recall was coach said, don't be weak, don't lay on the field. Old locker room guys, you know what I'm talking about? Coach, you know what I'm talking about? Don't, don't, don't lay on the field. So I just remember getting up off the field. I ran off to the sideline. I caught the ball. I have no idea how far we got. I got to the sideline, and back in the day, we didn't have all these high up and angled offenses where they call the plays in and you had wristbands and stuff like that. Receivers ran the plays back and forth, and I was a receiver. So I get to the sideline, and I can, ears still ringing. Coach looks at me, and he's like, you caught the ball, Coop, here's the next play. And he said the play, you know. And so I run in to tell the play to the quarterback in the huddle, and I get there, and the quarterback looks at me and goes, what's the play, Coop? I look at him, and I'm like, I don't, 
I don't know what the play is. He just told it to me. I remember him telling it to me, but I can't. And, and I remember that I couldn't remember the play that was given to me 20 seconds later. And that's when I knew something was wrong. I was completely disoriented. Um, that quarterback, by the way, is our Lake Wiley campus pastor. John uh, Barry was the senior quarterback on that team. And uh, so anyway, shout out John Barry. And he, he took care of me, though. He said, okay. And he called a play. He walked me to where I was supposed to line up on the field. They didn't have concussion protocol, okay? Uh, <laughs> Uh, they put me on the field. I have no idea what I did next play. They pulled me out. They sent me on the bench. They sent me over there. And, and any, anybody old school enough to remember smelling salts? Okay, this, uh, come on, 915. They snap a pack of these smelling salts. I'd heard of these things. I'd never actually breathed them in. It's like pure ammonia times a million. And they hit you in the face. It's whoa! And it's like, whoa! It makes your eyes water. It just all wakes you up. That's, that is the way I feel like the earth has been the last 24 months. Anybody feel that? It has been one of the most disorienting times in human existence, definitely in our lifetime. Where 24 months ago, somebody said this word, coronavirus, and nobody, nobody could have predicted 24 months ago what we have walked through since. Can I get an amen? It has been disorienting. It is like we got hit in the side of the head, and we're trying to figure out what's going on. And it's not in just one area of life. It's in every area of life. The last 24 months have been just one of those moments where you're like, oh, my gosh, what, what's happening in the economy? What's going on politically? What's going on in the church? What's going on in culture? Uh, what's going on work from home? Okay. What's going on in school? Wait, wait, wait. I'm, I'm going to teach my kids at home. You know, it's been disorienting. And you know what you do when you get disoriented? Think about this. You're watching boxing, a boxer gets hit, boom, takes one on the chin, and they get disoriented. What's the first thing to do? They grab a hold of the ropes. They find something stable. Maybe you've been lost in the car. Maybe your husband's been lost in the car, <coughs> wives. And don't know where they're going. And, and what do you do when you get lost? You pull out your app and you open up ways and you, and you grab onto something stable. If you're a builder, you're a construction guy, we've talked about this before, that you get, you get you know, kind of off when you're doing your, your work. You, you, you go to something stable. You grab out your ruler. You go to your chalk line. You, you pull out your, your, your laser level if you're in that. You, you grab a hold of something stable, right? That's what you do. Can I just say up front, we've all been disoriented, but one of the things that we have done as a pastoral staff, and I want to commend you as a church, we grab onto something stable. You don't know where you are right now. Grab onto something stable. Get a hold of something that's timeless, that's not going to move, that's going to be sustained. Many of you, maybe you haven't even been to church in a long time, but you have felt disoriented, and so you're trying to find something stable. And so this is what we've done as a staff. So what I'm going to share over the next couple of minutes is some things that we have realized as a, as a staff as pastors over the last 24 months. What we're going to share over this series, is we're going, to, we're going to share some things that we have found as we've grabbed onto something stable. I think they could obviously be applied at the church level, but they can be applied in every level of your life, in your business, in, in your family, in your marriage, as you're raising kids. Hold on to something stable. We're, we're going to grab a hold of this. You know, one of the things growing up in a small business family, uh, like I said, is we, we had a lot of conversations around the supper table at night about grabbing onto things 
stable in business. And my dad, he would, he would actually refer back to other business people from time to time. And, and one of the guys that we got talking about at one point or another was Henry Ford. You know, some of y'all drove his car on the way to church this morning. You drove it. You know, some of y'all don't drive Fords because you just are anti. And maybe you pulled for Chevrolet back when they did NASCAR and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but Henry Ford when he was seeing his business explode and, and, and things would happen in culture and there would be disorienting features go on, he would ask his leaders two questions. I want to put these two questions before us because I think they're actually going to help us orient today. He would put these two questions. You ready for them? The questions were, number one, what's business? And number two, how's business? And again, he was dealing with this in a in a business context, in a, in a motor context, as, as the Model A and the Model T and the mass production and the, and the assembly line were happening and we were, we were building cars all over the place. Henry Ford was built, and, and everybody would get disoriented and tr- priorities would get lost. He would come back around his leadership table and he would ask the question, okay, guys, we got to remember, what, what, what are we doing here? What is business? Like, I know this is happening, I know that's happening, I know we can get distracted, but what are we really doing here? What's business? Let's get back to the priority. And how are we doing it, the thing we say we're going to do? What's business and how's business? And I can tell you that over the last 24 months, I feel like that this is an opportunity for God's people, the church, to ask ourselves these same questions. When it comes to the church, can I look you in the eye and ask you this? Hey, really, what do, what do you think the business of the church is? What's business? And how are we doing at it? And over the last 24 months, across the world, not just in New Spring Church, we've had an opportunity to look ourselves in the mirror and really get an x-ray of how are we doing at the things that God has called us to do. And we grab a hold of this Bible and, and we see it's a firm foundation and we open it up. What is it that the Bible tells us is business? And, and then how are we doing at that? And so that's what I want to teach you today. I need a little bit of participation. This is not rhetorical. Anderson Campus, you're going to have to answer loud, okay? Um, but I, need, I want to teach you some Hebrew today, okay? I know that sounds crazy, but it's really, really simple, all right? So I need everyone to repeat two words after me. The first one is the word avo, A-V-O. Can everybody say avo on three? One, two, three, avo. I didn't hear you in the balcony. We'll go shot again. Avo on three. One, two, three. Avo. Okay, it's like what you add on your brunch, plus avo, you know, a little avocado over there. But that's not it. It's, the second word, is, the second word is, is da. All right? So on three, you're going to say da. All right? One, two, three. Da. One more time. One, two, three. Da. All right, now we're going to put both those words together. It's going to be on the screen, and we'll say avo da. One, two, three. Avo da. Look at you. You guys are just... Beautiful Old Testament scholars everywhere. Avodah. Would you write that word down? Avodah. I want to teach you what this word means because it's going to be helpful for us to understand, I think, where we, we have lost something that the Lord has intended for his people to have. The primary, what is business, what is the business of the church, is this word avodah. It's the number, I think, the number one thing that we're called to do. And you can go all the way back to before sin entered the picture in Genesis chapter 2 is the first place we see this word avodah. It's it's back when God is introducing Adam to what he's called to do. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, God says this. It says, the Lord took the man, Adam, and he put him in the garden to work it and keep it. 
Now you'll see that that word work is underlined. That's the word you just said out loud. What was that word again? It was what word? Avodah. Okay, got it. Work it. Now I say work it. Some of y'all been watching too much TikTok and you're doing dance moves. No, no, no. It's a different kind of work it, all right? Um, he put Adam in the garden to work it. Now this word avodah, if you do a little research on it, it does mean work, but there's two other ways that it's translated. The other two ways are work and serve and worship. So if you're taking down notes, I want you to write those three words down. These are significant words. Work, serve, worship. Avodah means work, serve, worship. We don't just see it in Genesis chapter 2. If you go just a little bit further, and if you were reading along with us this week in our Bible recap, I know so many of you are. Anybody show a hand? Bible recap folks. Yeah, I got Terry Lee Cobble. She's doing the God shot with us, and he's where the joy at. It's fantastic. I hope you will lean into that uh, if you haven't already. But this week we were in Exodus, and we were reading about God taking his people and delivering them from Egypt. And one of the things he says to Moses is to go to Pharaoh. And I want you to say this to him. It's in Exodus chapter 8, verse 1. It says, Then the Lord says to Moses, I want you to go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may what? New Spring Church, what's under the line word? That they may serve me. Avodah. So, Charlton Heston taught us about let my people go, right? But one of the things that the Ten Commandments back in the day didn't do was that they may serve me. God had a purpose for freeing them from slavery in Egypt. It was that they might go out and do what? Serve. Worship. That they might be a people that would be freed from something, but they would be freed for something. And the thing that they were freed for was avodah, to worship. They were freed for that. Matter of fact, if you read this week, uh, over and over again through the ten plagues, Moses is arguing with Pharaoh because he's like, well, the men can go. And then, no, 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 no. The men and the women and the livestock. No, no, no. The men and the women can go, but you can't take the livestock. Well, then how are we going to sacrifice? How will we serve? And then ultimately the ten plagues get there, and you guys know the end of the story. God brings his people out of Egypt, but the purpose, look at me, church, is that they might avodah. I believe what God is doing in the earth is he is right now teaching his people to prioritize worship. If we're going to talk about this everyday church, we've got to get a revelation of what worship is. And so it wasn't just Moses here, but if you remember, Moses had an assistant that he would ultimately hand leadership ranks off to. It's the next book in the Bible. Who was his assistant? Who was his assistant? Anybody remember? It was Joshua, right. Well, do you remember how Joshua gets to the end of his life and he closes it out? Maybe you don't recall it, but maybe you have it cross-stitched in your mama's house. Uh, Joshua gets to the end of his life and he's telling people in his last speech, hey, I've led you as well as I knew how. I followed the example of Moses. We've followed God. We've avodad. And so here's what I'm going to say. Now we're in the land. Now we're in the promised land. And, and um, I'm making the decision. My family has made the decision. We're going we're gonna to avodah. We're going to worship the Lord. But then he says these words in Joshua 24, 15. He says, but you've got to choose for yourself who, who you're going to serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Anybody ever read that in their grandmama's uh, half bathroom somewhere in cross stitch like my house? Okay, grew up seeing that. Uh, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, right? In, in the south, we put that on like a welcome mat. As for me and my house, or, or maybe it's in the half bathroom, as for me and my house. But what is the primary purpose of this? We are declaring that we are here to worship. Now, where did we get off track when it comes to what is business? Avodah is business. Well, we got off track 
when it came to this idea of worship because maybe you're already putting your foot on the brake right now. You're like, okay, pastor, okay, preacher, I hear what you're saying. But, man, I'm here this morning worshiping, um, but, but that's not what I do tomorrow. Tomorrow I show up at my job and I punch the clock. And that's where we've gone wrong. You see, we have created a world where we have made worship and work two separate things, and they're not according to Scripture. That's where the translating of this word into English has not served us. Serve, worship, work are all one thing, and it's what we're called to do. We're called to avodah. We're called to do that in Sunday morning context when the band's up here playing and the preacher's up here preaching, but we're also called 48 hours from now on a Tuesday morning, whatever you are doing at Tuesday morning in the, in the morning hours of 9 or 11 or whatever, whatever you're doing, you're worshiping. And you might be here today like, bro, I'm not even a follower of Jesus. I am definitely not a worshiper. Well, newsflash, you were de designed by God to be excellent at worship, and you can't stop worship. Did you know that? You can't push pause on your worship. You can't be like, I'm done with church. Stop. This afternoon, you and I will be worshiping because we were made by God instruments of worship. We might just be worshiping the next thing. We might be worshiping the job or the success or the career or the relationship or the stock market or the political party. And one of the things that's been exposed in the disorienting moment where we've been kind of knocked on our backside over the last 24 months is that we don't rightly understand that God made us and saved us for worship. Are you with me? Is this being helpful at all? All right. So this was a clarity moment for us as a staff. This was a clarity moment for us as a leadership team. And so we have clarified and seen that God has a vision for this church and for all people. And I want to put it in front of you, okay? Here is the vision statement of New Spring Church. We believe and we would want to see that everyone, everywhere, are in an everyday relationship with Jesus. Everyone, everywhere, in an everyday relationship with Jesus. I want to emphasize the everyday aspect of this. So what we do on Sunday and what we do on Wednesday are the same thing. We are, we are an integrated person. We are trying to worship God. This is why... Paul would write things like this to, to, the, to the churches in the New Testament. He'd say, hey, so whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Everything is towards him. So today, you're going to eat and drink maybe after this service. and You're going to eat and drink. And yeah, the, the church service is over, but you're still going to be worshiping. This is why Paul would write in Romans chapter 12, and he would say, hey, in light of God's mercies, we live now as a living sacrifice to God, holy and pleasing. That's worship language. We live as a living sacrifice. And so this is true in the scriptures, but now I just want to pause and I want to say, over the last two years, one of the things that we saw, and as we talked to other church leaders across the country, one of the things that they're seeing is people have separated the sacred and the secular. And we have, we have created a false dichotomy. We do sacred things on Sunday when we gather or when we open up the scriptures. But we do secular things throughout the week. And, and I just want to say that that's, that's a lie from hell. There is no separation of the sacred and the secular in the life of a believer. It is an integrated life. What you do today with your kids or, or with your co-workers tomorrow or the things that you listen to in the car, the, the, the way you speak on a Sunday and the way you speak on a Thursday, the way you operate, everything is, is one thing. And God wants to get us back and around this integrated life. 
every single day. Now, I want to pause right here and say one of the things we saw pastorally is that the people who already had this in their system prior to the pandemic 24 months ago, listen to me, had a pandemic-proof faith life. A pandemic-proof faith life. People that relied on a Sunday gathering, a once-a-week relationship with Jesus, or an every-other-week relationship with Jesus, or a Christmas and Easter services relationship with Jesus, those kind of people, their world eroded over the last 24 months. Test this. See if this is not true of you. But the person that already knew how to get a hold of the word of God and how to connect to God every single day, the same way they do on a Sunday as they do on a Tuesday as they do on a Thursday, they had a pandemic-proof faith life. And so when things were rolling out and we didn't know anything about the coronavirus, and we, y'all remember that? And we did, Man, oh my goodness, we have no idea what this is going to do. Everybody's saying everything from, hey, let's just not gather for 14 days. Y'all remember that? That was, that was crazy. No, 14 days, we're going to swerve the curve. We're just going to, nobody's going to get, we're going to slow it down. That was two years ago, y'all. Okay, um, and then it was like, okay, well, we'll, 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 we'll not gather in big groups and, and everybody everywhere, didn't matter your political spectrum, was trying to do their best to be thoughtful, right? Then it was like masks and then it was like vaccines and, then, and it was everybody everywhere was trying to figure out what to do. The people that only connected to Jesus in a Sunday morning gathering, their faith got smaller and smaller and they got eroded. But the people that knew how to connect to Jesus every single day, you could not stop them from growing their faith. It, they had a pandemic-proof faith life. And this is the story of the scriptures. This is the story of the church history. Listen to me. The Bible is full of people that didn't just have a pandemic-proof faith life. They had a prison-proof faith life. Paul wrote the majority of his letters from prison. He didn't get to gather like we're gathered here today. He had a life that was able to connect to God every single day. And we want that for you because I'm just going to say this out loud. It's never, ever, ever. We have probably already lived in the easiest time to be a Christian in human history. The last 20 years, easiest time in human history to follow Jesus. I don't think it's going to be any easier. On the record, quote me, uh, you know, I don't call myself a prophet, but I'm going to throw that out there. It's never getting easier to follow Jesus than it was the last 20 years. Easy. Nominal Christianity, cultural Christianity, easy. All that, pfft, it's gone. You're here today because you've made the decision to follow Christ. Amen? You're here today because you know this is a value and importance. But I'm telling you, if you do not get around this everyday faith, if you don't get around this everyday relationship and raise your kids this way and reach out, and as you, you're, you're going to see that this is the thing that will keep you going through whatever's next. Whatever culturally comes next, whatever is unknown that we don't know about that God does, it's going to keep you to the end. It's an everyday faith life. Now, I want to give you a tool before we conclude today that, that really makes the difference and it separates, listen to me, a Christian from a disciple. You know there's a difference, right? A lot of people tell you they're Christians, right? All right? And, and listen, Christians, they go to heaven when they die. But listen, God didn't call us to be Christians. He said, be a disciple. Did he not? Let me show you the difference between a Christian and a disciple. A Christian has seen Jesus one time and done this, this motion I'm about to show you one time. A disciple does it again and again and again. You ready for it? An everyday disciple does four things. Here they are. It's going to be on the screen. An everyday disciple does four things. They look up. They look in, they look out, and they repeat. It's so simple. It's just, it's just fundamentals. It's just the X's and the O's. It's all over the scriptures. 
They look up, they look in, they look out, and they repeat. Next week, you're going to hear so much more on this, how you leverage this tool specifically. But I want to just put before you, the way you became a Christ follower is that God opened the eyes of your heart. You saw him for who he was. It caused you to look in and go, gosh, I'm sinful and I'm not forgiven. And, and it caused you to uh, at, cry out for mercy, and God gave you mercy, and then he sent you out as a new believer. Uh, I think today on some of our campuses, we're baptizing folks, and they're, they're declaring to you that they're new. They've, they've looked up, they've looked in in light of that, and they're looking out at the world and, and things have changed up in out repeat Christians have done that one time disciples do that all the time okay Isaiah chapter 6 this is the exact motion of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 remember that whole section of holy 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 my eyes see the Lord Isaiah said he gets called in to the throne room of God and his eyes see the Lord and all the beauty of God and all the sounds of heaven as the angels are, are crying out holy 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 and, and Isaiah has a wow moment can everybody say wow on three one two three wow he goes wow 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 God is incredible but then as soon as he has a wow moment he has a woe moment you remember what he says he says, woe is me, for my eyes have seen the Lord, and I'm a, I'm a sinful man. I'm an unclean man, man, and I'm among an unclean people. That's the end. His eyes went up, and then they went in. And then the next thing you know, God sends an angel with a coal that atones for Isaiah's sins. And then the next thing he does is goes, hey, who will go for us? Who shall we send? And Isaiah raises his hand and says, send me, I'll go. And so it's up, in, out. This motion is all over the Bible. Everywhere, you're going to see it everywhere now. This is the same stuff that happens with Jesus. Remember Peter that time, and this is in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus is with the disciples, and he's saying, what are people saying about me? Who do people say that I am? And then he asked the question of, of the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter looks up and out. He says, you are Jesus the Christ. Uh, boom. And then what does Jesus do? He turns around and says, you're right, and you aren't Simon. You're Peter. You're, he renames him. In. And then, and then what, is, what is Peter doing? He's, and he says, and Peter, I'm giving you the keys. This is the keys of the kingdom. So go and teach people this. Look out into the world and live on mission. Up, in, out. I want you to know that my heart for you over the next year is that your eyes look up, in, out so many times that you get this motion that it forms you and it changes you. It changes your marriage. It changes your family. It changes your legacy. This is the motion of a disciple of Jesus. Up, in, out, repeat. What is it again? Up, in, out, repeat. you got to see this. It's the difference between a Christian and a disciple. And oh, by the way, Jesus did not tell us to go and make Christians. He actually told us to go and make disciples. It's in Matthew chapter 28. Remember? Here's what Jesus said. Right after he resurrects in power and he gathers the church... He gathers the church and he says these words as he goes to heaven. He, he says, I'm going to come back the same way you're going to see me go. But before I go, I need you to understand something. He says, and Jesus came and says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So I want you to go, therefore, and make Christians or make what? Make disciples. Okay, yelling from the back. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I want you to teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the ends of the age. So Jesus comes and he says, go and make disciples. And the process of going and making a disciple actually causes you to become a disciple, 
right? And so this is our calling. We've got to reckon with the reality that nominal Christianity is dead. It's squished out of the church. Stats right now say that every single church in America is seeing about 50% of people in their churches uh, as opposed to the pre-COVID number. 50%. We are blessed in New Spring Church. You're, you're sitting in a room today that's more like 65 or 70% of people. But I just want you to know we have got a call. We are not called to go make Christians, we're called to go make disciples, okay? So you're going to feel us challenge this because we're not called to make people that have a once-a-week relationship with Jesus. We're called to help people walk in an everyday relationship with Jesus because that's where purpose and joy is found. Amen? That's where purpose and joy is found. And this week, we actually got an update from one of our ministry partners that's doing this on the other side of the planet, teaching people the ways of Jesus. And it was so good, church, that I wanted you to see it. Because I think it just reminds us of what our mission is. What is business and how is business? This is the business of the church, to worship God and to teach others to do the same. And that's why we partner with ministries like Crossover Global that go and build church in really hard places. But I just want to say that we are celebrating the fact that last year our church was able to partner with them to help build thousands of churches around the world in the middle of a pandemic. And I wanted you to hear it from not just me, but actually from the president of their organization. His name is Ken Katayama, and he wanted to share just a little bit with you, church, about what God is doing around the world. Y'all check this out. I want to say thank you on behalf of people, for example, of a little boy, a young guy in the Himalayan mountains in the country of Nepal who was studying to become a Buddhist monk. But because of one of our church planters, they endure hours, days going through the mountains, take some risks to get to a village to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ to his family. This former Buddhist monk student, it's now a follower of Jesus Christ. And in his house, there is a house church and the house church gathers and becomes the point of gospel access to this entire village in the middle of the Himalaya mountains. You have allowed us to accomplish a story like that one, to accomplish goals to communicate the gospel where Christ has never been preached before. So thank you very much for all you do. Thank you, New Spring family, for being such an incredible partner of the work of the gospel. God bless you. Goodbye. I love that. I love Ken. Ken's a part of our Columbia campus. Shout out to the Columbia campus. But listen, this is the same motion God uses again and again and again. He opens our eyes to see him. We look up. In light of that, we look in and we start to go, gosh, these are the broken things in me that don't align with who Jesus is. And we listen to Christ and he tells us, hey, I want to forgive you of your sins. I don't want you to live in addiction. I don't want you to live, 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 in, live, live believing the lies of the enemy about your identity. I want you to walk out now and go into the world and share this good news with them. That's the mission of the church. So what's business and how's business? It's to live an integrated seven-day-a-week, 365-day-a-year life where we worship God. If, if you are here as a part of this church called New Spring Home, I want you to know we, this is the way we program. This is the way we're, we're teaching your kids in Kids Spring and your students in student ministry. This is the way we're going to preach and the way we're going to lead. And, and you're going to feel this. We're not just trying to give you some kind of self-help stuff up here, okay? There's other people on social media that you can go get that. But you came out of your house today and came and made a reason to be here. And so we're going to preach like this stuff is real because we believe heaven and hell are, amen? We believe that. 
And so I want you to get this because there's, there's a lie that the enemy tries to, to feed the church in America. And that lie is, is your church about evangelism? Is your church about discipleship? And maybe you've even felt this. Anybody know this lie? Is your church about evangelism? Is your church about discipleship? Well, I want you to know that's not the way the New Testament talks about it at all. The New Testament says that we're going to be about both 100% of the time. Look at what Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29 says. This is Paul writing to the church there in Colossus, and he says, Him, Jesus, we proclaim, we preach, and we warn everyone, and we're teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may, look right here, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And then Paul says, for this is why I toil, and I don't struggle with my energy, but I'm struggling with all of God's energy that he powerfully works within me. So here's the question. Are we trying to tell everyone about Jesus, or are we trying to make disciples? And the answer is both. We're trying to preach to everyone. And we're trying to reach as many people as we possibly can. But I want you to see what he said right there. Our job is to make sure that we can present everyone mature in Christ. So we want to see as many people reached with the good news of Jesus. And we want to make sure that every single one of us are as mature as we possibly could be in Christ. And so I want to ask you this morning... What does that look like for you? What, what is your relationship with God? Do you, are you in this place where you have a pandemic-proof faith life? You've got an everyday relationship with him? What is your next step? I mean, you might say you're a Christ follower, that you're a Christian. You gave your life to him 25 years ago. Don't settle for just stagnation. That's a lie from the enemy. We want to invite you in to being a part of helping us carry this good news message across the world to Nepal like you just saw, but also across your street, across your subdivision, across your apartment complex, or across the classroom. God's called us all to be a part of this everyday church, and that's what the vision of this house is. Now, again, I've preached like we're in a locker room today because I'm just assuming that there's a lot of you, that you're here because you, you already know some of this stuff. You've already been kind of formed around this stuff and so my job and our job is to lead you and shepherd you and challenge you into your next step. And one of the, one of the smelling salts uh, that's kind of really wrecked me over the last two years is this quote I want to put before you by a pastor that lived a couple of decades ago from Chicago, Illinois. It's Pastor D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody, Moody Bible Institute is up there if you've ever visited Chicago. He has this beautiful ammonia smelling salts quote that I just think is powerful. Our greatest fear, church, should not be of failure, but instead of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter in the end. Leave that quote up there, and I want you to read it. Please, read it with your eyes. Students, I want you to read this. This is so big. College students, you're getting your, you're getting your degree in something right now. All right, you're in a relationship right now. Read this. It's so good. A hundred years from now is what we're working on and what we're building. Is it going to really matter? Is it going to really matter? Are we going to be successful in the world's eyes, but in eternal eyes, we're going to have a bunch of regret? I don't want you to have regret. What's business and how's business? What are we doing? Let's get oriented. Let's grab a hold of this word and let's orient our lives and our church around the things that matter in the end. Let's not be successful in, in anybody else's eyes but King Jesus. Amen? Let's be successful in his eyes. And that's, that's what's on offer. That's what's on offer this morning. And so... Our worship teams are going to play a song this morning, and I want to invite you to do something a little different. I want to invite you to sit back and maybe open up a notes app on your, on your phone. Don't go looking at Instagram, okay? I know that that's a, that's a potentiality. Don't go check your Facebook update from your friend. 
open up your notes app on your phone. Or maybe if you don't have uh, your notes app but you're taking notes, just put a line and, and I want you to ask God these two questions after you've heard this, this preach this morning. What is God saying to you and, and what are you going to do about it? Let's really, really reckon with this. What's our role? How do we integrate a life that is, man, I'm worshiping all the time. My work is my worship. I'm, I'm, I'm in an everyday relationship with Jesus because he wants that. He desires that. And that's where joy is found. And what does it look like for you to take your next step? I know in my journey, part of my biggest next step at New Spring Church was I started serving. I, I never served in the local church until I came to New Spring Church. And it was, it was beginning to serve in the student ministry 17 years ago that God actually used that serving to make me into a disciple. And so I'm the benefactor of I became a better follower of Jesus as I didn't know all the answers, but I just said yes to starting to serve. What, what, what does it look like for you? And let's do this. Let's do something that matters in the end. Let me pray for us. And then our worship teams are going to lead us. And then a pastor at your campus is going to navigate and shepherd that space. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can grab onto it in this disoriented moment. And God, I pray for every single man and every single woman, young and old, that we would live, God, this integrous life, this integrated life where our work and our worship would not be compartmentalized, but it would be the same. This avodah, our work, our service, and our worship would all be to you, God. And would you show us where the gaps are for each one of us in our everyday relationship? And would you woo us with your love, not... Not with your belt. God's not going to woo you with, your, with his belt. He's going to love you into that everyday relationship. And so show us where we have been believing a lie. As we worship you now, would you allow every family represented here to know what their next step in doing something that in eternity is going to echo and resonate. We love you, God, and we serve you, and we honor you, and we're grateful for the grace that you are pouring out on us that we might realign to your ways even now. So be glorified as we respond. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.